teaching the class, uh, mentioned that he was of the tribe of Manasseh. And we're trying to, and sometimes you look at it and say, how does that, how does suddenly in a, in a sea full of Ephraimites, where does this Manassite show up lineage-wise? How, how does that happen? Um, I always refer back to uh, our patriarch uh, in the Plano State, Lou Lauritsen, who will always sit me down when I ask him these questions, and he just always says, when they were all in, when we were all in Egypt together, who did we marry? We married one another. There was a lot of intermarrying. You have the blood probably of all the tribes somewhere in your lineage. Your patriarchal blessing de- declares your responsibility to labor within that lineage and within that assignment assigned to that lineage. So if you are if if your patriarchal blessing said that you are an Ephraimite, doesn't mean you don't have the blood of Manasseh in you, but it does mean your responsibility as an Ephraimite is to do the things that Ephraim was commanded to do, which is to take the gospel to all four corners of the earth and bring them home. Our brother in gospel doctrine is assigned to Manasseh, which means he's going to have some responsibilities at some point. By priesthood, he's supposed to do some e- a lot of Ephraimite stuff, but he's going to have a special assignment at some point with Manasseh. That makes sense? So that's why if, you know, probably somebody here from other tribes... Uh, if you run into someone from Judah and they're like, the rest of my family's Ephraim, how'd I end up Judah? You've got some assignments with Judah. So, okay, cool. Yeah? Well, I thought as part of the covenant with Abraham that we were all supposed to do that. We are, but sometimes there are specific assignments that were assigned to each one of the tribes. For instance, with Judah, there would be, if you're, if you're Judah, probably an assignment to be, have a special uh, recognition for and a help for, for Judah out there, so kind of fun. All right, uh, that said, I don't think there's anything else. All right, I thought I would, uh, it's always a good day if you can start with uh, something from Jay Golden Kimball. Um I remember a long time, and you have to, you, have to, you almost have to picture him. Uh, Elder Kimball had a really kind of a high, whiny voice. I won't try and imitate it, but I always picture. I remember a long time ago when they launched the Era magazine. I was on a trip with Apostle Francis Lyman. The people had not seen an apostle for 20 years, and it was a Sunday, a fast day. Meetings were begun in the morning, and they were and they kept them up all day, and we were fasting. I was pretty nearly dead at 4 o'clock. <laughs> After 4 o'clock, Brother Lyman said, Now, Brother Kimball, get up and tell him about the Era magazine. I said, All you men that will take the Era, if we will let you go home, raise your right hand. <laughs> there was not a single man who did not raise his hand and subscribe to pay $2 cash for the Era. <laughs> Brother Lyman said it was the brightest thing you ever did. I do not claim that was inspiration. It was good psychology. Really, they paid two dollars to get out. <laughs> In all fairness, by the way, to, to Brother Kimball, if you ever have a chance, there are a number of places you can actually go and read old conference talks from 
the 1900s and 1910 and 15, 20, stuff like that. You ought to read his talks because the first few minutes of them are always a hoot. You know, and, and the, whoever's writing will say, uh, audience laughing or something like that. And then you know what? The rest of the talk is powerful stuff. He was a 70. He was never an apostle. He was a 70 and he was an incredible missionary. And, and his stuff is good stuff. But we, got, we know this part of it and sometimes miss uh, the rest of it. He stood up once in a bar on his mission and, and someone started to heckle him when he tried to preach the gospel in a bar. So he started pointing out sins. And he cleared the room. <laughs> Under inspiration, that man's committed adultery, and that one is with his wife, and that one is with and, and they were all after it, and everybody just scattered. <laughs> Jay Golden Kimball. When oh. was that? That was before I was in the church. I mean, when was, when, when was uh, Brother Kimball? Yeah, when was he active? 1920. Oh, well, that's a little. Yeah, 1915, <laughs> 1920, kind of in there. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Enough that when he would get up, the first radio broadcast for a while, he was a general authority, and they had to start writing his talks. He were, Jay Grant would write his talks because he would cuss during the singing, and then they would pull the plug on them. Yeah, he did. No, he didn't. He just kind of... Anyway. All right, that said... Um, as we as we roll into this part of the uh, of the Gospels, I want you to look. I want to kind of keep one thing in mind, and that is, you know, when the church is out there and somebody is attacking the church or attacking Christianity or religion in general, one of the things that they that especially those kind of in the scientific community struggle with is it's just too weird. There's too many miraculous angelic can't be explained things. And, and so generally they're coming kind of from this idea. The world's view then says, um, if, I, if I could just somehow see a miracle that would produce belief. Because again, part of science is you have to be able to see it, measure it, and then I will believe that it's true. Okay? Now, part of the problem here then is that that's, this is not how the gospel works. Because the gospel truth to this is that when we have faith, faith in things that are not seen, along the way that, that results in miracles. Faith produces the miracles. Why? <coughs> Yeah. Because through faith that the miracle was accomplished. It takes faith for that miracle to happen. Yeah? Yeah? Sometimes you have the faith enough to ask for a miracle. I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah? To have faith means that you would have And not only that, once the miracle has happened, then you can bear witness as, as to what it was that created that. Yeah. This wasn't the same. Same wavelength. But sometimes miracles happen to people who have no faith. 
and it ingenerates the faith after that, after the miracle. Their lives change. Uh, okay, well, so, so what you're saying is sometimes people have had miracles and then they will end up kind of believing in the result of that. Yeah. Kind of, and it almost looked like the first one. Okay. I've heard a talk that said that faith is the power that creates miracles. It's, it's what created our earth, it created everything in the universe. Faith is the power. Okay. I, I think that, that there's no way that a, that a true miracle can't happen without faith. Does it produce faith, though? I've told the story here before that I had a... Um, when I, was in, when, I, when I was in graduate school, I had a good friend of mine that uh, we, were, we were studying psychology and we were, we were in the middle of an abnormal psychology course and about halfway through it, we would talk afterwards and, he, and afterwards he said, let me tell you something, he said, my dad had a series of visions when we were younger and we, we all joined the church because of these visions. They were remarkable and all that. And he said, uh, then we discovered a few years later that actually he was schizophrenic. <laughs> and he was having visions, but they were off the wall kind of stuff, which rocked his faith to the core. And actually, by the time we finished our graduate course, he left the church. Because he was looking at schizophrenia. And, he was looking at, and so somehow we all joined the church because of this miracle thing. And it kept us going for a while, but at some point he hadn't supplanted that enough to, to handle that. So sometimes miracles I think can produce short-term faith, but not the one that gets us through trials. Yeah, Bob? Well, how would you categorize uh, Saul and Paul on the road to Damascus? Oh, there's a good one. Or Alma. Somebody else had faith for Alma. I think so. So, all right. I think whether we admit or not, there has a certain did the Lord know that if Paul had the miracle that it would change him did the Lord know what, what Paul's calling was and what he had been foreordained to do how about with Alan the Lord knows if, if, it, if that kind of miracle it would, it would actually create the faith that is already kind of within their, within their spirit at the time that's why sometimes we keep hoping if we've got struggling kids, it's like, couldn't they get like Paul's angel? <laughs> or Al, Alan's spirit? Can we get that one? Wouldn't that suddenly turn them around and now they're going to believe? They didn't love me, I saw an angel. It didn't help them much. Yeah, because they weren't in a place to hear that. And wouldn't you think there are those without faith that would observe or be in that wouldn't recognize it as such because they don't have the faith? Ah, they might even see a miracle. Think about all the people who saw the miracle of the day, the night, and the day in the Book of Mormon, the coming of Savior, and then Satan goes along them later and going, ah, it was just a trick. It was just... And especially now in our sophisticatedness, any miracle that you might see would be like, well, there's an explanation or somebody's trying to make a buck. It would get explained away. Okay. So, now we're going to run through uh, a series of things with the Savior where there are miraculous things going on. And so 
So, so we might even ask the question, why miracles even occur? What was those that had faith? Are there a number of people who have faith who never see a miracle? Now, I would probably argue that miracles always occur when when hearts change. But there's an awful lot of people with faith and testimonies that have never seen a miracle per se. Everybody's seen miracles. The very existence of the earth, the way it rotates, there, there, there's no doubt there's miracles. But if we're not seeing it as such, you're, you're exactly right. It's around us. But I want you to... Uh, somebody, somebody turn to Matthew 20, 30. So I want to give you a... There, there's a beautiful explanation in here why I think miracles occur. I'm not necessarily going to try. I'm going to let somebody read this. We've got it. Okay? All right, thanks. Read out. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard Jesus pass by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. Okay, now I want you to. So we're going to start with a couple of people who are blind, and they are reaching out to the say, Have mercy on us. And. Have mercy on us who? That they're saying who he is. Not just a kind of a high priest with some special... We're saying thou son of God. And we know who he is. Okay, and? But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. Yes. Son of David, translate that. O Lord, thou Messiah. They're, they're proclaiming who he is. Okay, keep going. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? And they say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Okay. It's in, in that verse. Why did the Savior perform the miracle? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Isn't that great? See, in my mind, I'm trying to say, why do miracles occur? There's the answer. Have mercy on us, uh, Messiah, us on David. And then he says, what would you have me do? I'm now willing to do what you want. Well, we want to be able to see. Now, I love the symbolism of that. We can spend a lot of time today on the symbolism behind how many people are there out there that are going to say, have mercy on me, what would you have me do? I want to see. I want to know. I want to have my eyes open. And the thing that drives the miracle in this case is the compassion. The love. To me, that's the ultimate. Why are the miracles? Because he loves us. And you're going to watch this theme occur all the way through everything we're going to talk about today. Right? All right. So let's start. Let's go. Let's go to Luke eight. Now we actually have two versions of this story. I want. To, I want to use both. This is going to come at a time, what you're going to start to see, because of the miracles, the outward 
excitable headline stuff. So the Savior's popularity is going to grow and grow and grow, and this, this is really the height of his popularity. People are following him from town to town to town, and it begins to be a problem. That's why sometimes if you crossing over the lake, it's going to buy some time. And some people on one side of the lake, they can sail over, and they can do some work without being so crowded, and they've got to sail back. Okay. They arrived in, in the, the country of uh, Gadarnes, which is again over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had had devils long time. And wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. Imagine living in the tombs, in the graveyard. Okay? Now, uh, let, let me flash over here to Mark 5, because you even get a better description of what's going on with this guy. <laughs> so they come out of the ship. Verse 3. Who, this man had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, pieces neither could any man tame him. Wow. I recall when I first started working in mental health, I was working in a... Uh, in a uh, inpatient mental health unit, and when somebody in Provo or Orem was kind of uh, needed to be kind of locked up for mental issues, they would bring them to our unit. So we would, police would show up at the door, or uh, ambulance or something like that would come to our unit. So we got to see them kind of fresh in the middle of all that. And we had one little gal that, uh, if I remember right, I think she was, she was maybe 100 pounds, small little thing, and she would, she'd been uh, gone to a party, got hooked on PCP, and was just kind of out of it, okay? And, and she was so far out of it that we put her in a seclusion room uh, for her own benefit, because she just was out of control. Well, in the seclusion room had this d massive double-pane window up there, uh, so they get some light into the seclusion room. Well, in the middle of this kind of drug-induced uh, mania that she was going through, she reached up and pulled the, the metal framing that held the glass frame in and pulled it off. Just stripped that thing out of there and got about halfway off before we had to kind of go in. It's like, okay, let's do whatever we need to do and get her more medication and uh, get her in a straitjacket and just really messy kind of thing, okay? So next morning, time to call the, uh, the people to come in and repair it. So we called the glass company. And the guy comes in and he looks at this thing and he can see the metal stripping torn off his glass. And he's like, I want to see the monster that did this one. <laughs> wow. You just don't believe how what kind of strength it would take to pull that off. Where is the dude that did that? Well, there she is. <laughs> it, it's, you know, you hear stories about little grandmothers that are going to lift cars off their grandkid underneath, you know, and 
Well, and, and there are moments with that kind of superhuman strength that the strength comes in an amazing sort of way. Well, this is one of those times. He'd often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked off. The fetters were broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, uh, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Wow. Kind of a frightening thing. Think most of this, the countryside would know about this person? Yeah, this is the crazy dude in the tombs. Okay, now. Um, we're we're going to, as we read down, he saw Jesus afar off. He ran and worshipped him. <coughs> the man did. And cried with a loud voice. But what comes out of his... Uh, out of his mouth. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And then the Savior is going to say unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Now, let's stop for a second. We always have to be looking at these stories and say, Okay, obviously there is a tale here that would make sense to me if I'm ever possessed. Or if a member of my family is possessed, then suddenly this makes sense. Outside that this is a manifestation of God's power. Okay? But, what would, how would we describe a demon possessing a man like this? Well, walk, walk through the process. What would be a demon in somebody? Addiction. Well, one of that... <coughs> about two pages ahead of me. But just if we're going to be literal, we have a person. What's entered into him? Even more than that. More general. This is an outside entity that's going to come into a person with a sole purpose of doing what? Destroying it. Or at the very least, controlling it. And the result of this outside entity dwelling in this person that is not... They were born with this. It's there. The result, what, what effect does that have on them? Loss of control. Mental problems. Could have some mental problems and anguish of carrying on this. Isn't caught some misery. So that's what a demon is. A demon is an outside force that comes in and controls us and makes us miserable. Now, on top of that, does this person who is possessed of a demon have the ability to remove it? Yes. Of their own? No. No. They invited it in, so they got to remove it. They can't get rid of it. They're trying. In fact, what are, what are and even friends and relatives, what are they trying to do to try and control this thing? Chains, fetters. To try and somehow control this. Is it working? Okay. Now, so here's where the lesson lies, right? So let's pull back from this. Now, now, what are, where's the application? What are our demons? What are modern day demons? Drugs. It could be drugs, right? Outside entity that comes in, uh, controls us, makes us miserable. And we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to remove it. 
We're going to have to rely on something stronger than us, greater than us. Okay, that's a D. What else? Ever. What's that? Depression can be that. It's an outside force in us that controls us and makes us miserable. And and now, now just for the sake of this, what kind of chains and fetters might you try and put on uh, depression or addictions that will somehow try and control this? I, I think one thing that's really big right now is for the addiction of pornography, people put all kinds of controls on their computers. Oh, yeah. Yes. In fact, I had a, uh, had a, a, a dear sister in my office a, a year or so ago, and that's what she tried to do. Husband's got pornography, so now what we're going to do is we're going to control every aspect of his life. Uh, he's going to have an office uh, at work, but I'm going to place a camera in the office overlooking his shoulder so I can monitor any time of the day or night exactly what it is that he's looking at. I will change this. I will control this. Does that work? Didn't work with him either. <laughs> You know, we're trying somehow to control this thing. People don't change until they're ready to change. Right. They've got to be ready. Jesus, thou Son of God, I'm ready. But now, so now I'm ready. Now what? Now it's just. Remember the old. I can't imagine. I can't tell you how many people come into my office. Remember the old movie, uh, Christmas Story? It's a great line from there where, where he gets the, the dad wins this prize. And he wins this magnificent prize even though it's the leg in the window thing. And his, and his neighbor says, what is that? Well, it's a, it's a major award. Great. How'd you do it? What does he say? Mind power, sweet. Mind power. I'm amazed how many people try and solve addictions with mind power. I, I'm going to just exercise greater willpower and make this stop. And then they keep using it. Yeah. Okay, I understand the thing of the addictions, but how does depression or something else? Let's talk about that. How is that outside? I mean, anxiety, depression kind of go together, people have panic Yeah, and we might say, well, maybe the thing is medication. We're going to try and control that. The, uh, if someone has a a chemical imbalance and they're going to take a medication that helps restore that. That's not trying to control that with chains of fetters. That's just trying to give you a, an even battle to battle your demons. Now you're back on an even plane. That's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. But let's talk about depression. Because depression, could depression be a demon? Oh, man. Just a, and it's this outside entity that is just controlling and making your life miserable. That, that would be a demon. How are you going to get healed? Is it, how are the demons healed? Because notice, the Savior, what's He going to call this, this demon in verse 8? It's an unclean spirit. Wow. And that's how especially works with addictions and stuff, unclean spirit. But what about depression, anxiety disorder? It's those kind of things that make us miserable. Do we feel unclean when they're there? Oh, man. Well, I'd just like to point out also that in a translation like unclean could not, could not necessarily mean that you were dirty. Right. Rather unclean. I mean, the lepers were considered unclean. The right. The issue was considered unclean. It just means 
Yeah, it means sick. Exactly. So, so okay, this is going to sound like kind of true. So how are you going to heal from depression? Yes, and, and through Christ, then what? How is he going to do that? It will be a miracle. Now, the funny thing about miracles, though, because there are a lot of people that are very righteous and they struggle with anxiety and depression and stuff like that, and they have de this demon of that that is there in control and making us miserable and praying for the miracle. And the miracle isn't happening. Therefore, are you just not being faithful enough? Maybe it needs to be more scriptures? Sometimes that miracle is other people. Yes. Can't can be those angels around us that lift us up without necessarily removing this. What do we now here here's the thing we need to keep in mind about miracles. When do miracles occur? Now, first of all, why why do miracles occur? Because the Savior loves us. When do miracles occur? In His time. That's, that's the frustrating part of this. In His timing. He knows when it's time to remove things from us and when it's not. Now, according to our timetable, when should the when should our demons be removed? Now. And I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to tell you how fast and when. And I want you to remove my kids' demons right now and let me tell you how and when. How would these demons get into a people, a two, a two people, like Mary Magdalene? How would seven demons possess her? I mean, what do you have to do to let them in? Yeah, well, and, and you know, the funny thing about this is that we really don't have a lot about how this entered in. It sure seems to be happening a lot in this period of time back then. Don't you think that sometimes they were medical conditions like maybe yes. somebody had epilepsy and they called it demon. a demon for lack of understanding. Yeah, sure. I have a tendency to believe that one because sometimes in this one, uh, I was actually, I, I, uh, first time this ever happened, uh, the church put out a video on about this one, one of the, one of the LDS New Testament videos, um, and it was too creepy. <laughs> And I decided not to show it because I, you know, it's got it's got the it's got the legion speaking back to say, "What do we have to do with you?" <laughs> so in some cases, I believe it was epilepsy. I think there was medical conditions going on. Just said he cast it out. This one is a little more specific. He's not. He's going to cast it out into the swine, uh, and so I think there's going to be a mix. What's the safe? Today, in, in today's society, it's like the video games that kids are on to. They, that gets to be a real addiction as far as taking them away from focusing on doing their schoolwork. And they just kind of lose themselves in video games. Well, watch this one. Do uh, I have any moms here that after their kids have been like gaming for a while or been on a video game, that they kind of have a little personality change? It's like they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're like they're being sweet. They watch this for a couple hours. It's time to come off now. <laughs> you know, and you want to say, unclean spirit, leave thee. Kind of thing. I, well, my youngest son was just learning how to draw 
we were going over a bridge in Colorado and it was frozen and he did what he wasn't supposed to do and the car just turned around and we were hit by a truck, a really big, you know, uh, pickup truck. And it didn't strike me until, I, we were okay, everybody was okay, but it didn't strike me until after I got home. Oh my gosh, within inches, you know, yeah. it hit him, you know, as a T-bone. This kid never registered what happened. And I thought, it's video games. You know, you just reset and you're okay and you take off again. I was a basket case for the rest of the week and it never bothered him. So I think there's this insensitivity that happens. The, there is, and we're talking about the screen kids. That are, that are used to having that immediate interaction constantly. Things we put around us invite the different types of spirits in, whether it be good or bad. I saw a case where a spirit was trying There was a bad spirit in a person, and it could not be cast out. And it came down that their bishop had to tell them that you need to clean your lifestyle up before you be cast out. Okay. Yeah. I think in some of the cases too, with anxiety, depression, anything that you want to get rid of, um, the miracle comes when the Lord needs people to see God's glory through working through that person. Yeah. In fact, let's hold on to that because look at the let's look at the rest of this story. I think that's a that's a good lead in here. Okay. Um, so now we're going to get. Um, Could be organization. It could be. Is that my phone? Here. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> I'm so worried that it was making mine. Sorry. That's okay. Um, uh, they besought him that he would command them. They would not command them to go into the deep. 
The Greek word for that is abyss. Don't cast us into darkness. Wow. Okay? So he's going to suffer them, and they go out and into the swine, into the pigs, and the herd, which is which numbers about 2,000. The big herd are going to run down the hill into the lake and drown. A lot of demons. If it's going to run like 5,000 or 2,000 of them. Right. Okay, now, the next part though is we're going to look at this healing by healing from the demons in our life. I want you to see there is one other little parallel story here that's running inside this, and you have to look carefully to see it. I'm trying to remember if it's in this one or if it's in Matthew. Uh, there it is. It's in this one. Okay. Verse 27. Let's go back to the beginning. And when he came forth to land, there met out of the city a certain man which had devils long time and what? Wear no clothes. Now, in, in the temple, when we talk about Adam and Eve wearing no clothes, what's that symbolic of? Innocence, sure. Okay? They're, they're, they're naked until they fall. They're no longer innocent at that point. They then need to be clothed. In this case, we have a man who's already fallen who is wearing no clothes. And in this case, it is, what do you think it would be symbolic of? The guy's naked, he's running around. What would that be symbolic of? Illness? Protection for what? Yes, he was unprotected, right? Wasn't he? So that means that he was somehow unable to protect himself against these outside influences. I think that's the level of, I think the level of symbolism here. He wear no clothes. Now, if you go down to the down to verse 35. Then they went, the, the people who lost the herd of, of swine, trying to figure out what it is that's going on. And so then they go over and here's Jesus. And, and what, do they, what do they see? They went to see what was done. They came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Clothes. Okay. And in his right mind, and they were afraid at the miracle that occurred. So we get this little thing that says he was, when he was out of his right, when he was filled with an unclean spirit, he was naked and unprotected. What happens after he's in his right mind? Now he's clothed. Clothed in what? Now. Kevin? Yeah. You know, because being around this guy means we may lose our livelihood. But that could be, but it could also be that. I, I like that. It's kind of like people are trying to repent or, 
you know, maybe miracles have taken place. I'm used to you being one way, then if you change, now I'm afraid, because I don't know exactly how to approach you, either because this is new, or I don't know if it's going to stick. Ah, I like that. Why did Jesus let him enter this wife? Why did he say no, you're not? I've wondered that. You know what? I have an answer on that. Glad I of all the things, unless it was just going to be a demonstration for everybody else. Zone this out to the Gentiles? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know. What are you doing right to the Maybe it was sheep and then, yeah. <laughs> And they were going to fight more right now. Yeah, to try to, he he used his angels to. Okay. He's going to hit him hard while he's here. Okay. Does that make sense? It it makes a lot of sense. I like that. Okay. Now, but but let's continue. So so let's continue the metaphor. If you have been, if you're filled with demons, why are they raising kids? You've got an idea? They could have been wild boars. You know, they were just a wild, except that this, these guys were hurting them. They were still. They were making the skins in the clothes or something. Uh, maybe they just weren't eating them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just <laughs> 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 the pigs are unclean. Yeah, the pigs are unclean. And we're going to put them into an unclean thing. It's a great object lesson. And, and I get that part. I just don't know why they were raising them in the first place. <laughs> They like bacon they, on the side. <laughs> How do you do breakfast without bacon? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We are drifting. <laughs> you guys are great. Okay. Now, so 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 here so go through this process. He, here's a guy who's filled with demons. He's breaking all these things, and he's naked. He's unprotected. Now what's going to happen, he's in his right mind, and now he's going to be clothed, and the question is clothed in what? Especially when we look at our lives. Now, there's some beautiful symbolism here, that if you'll see it. um, And I want you to look at two of them. Let's pop over to uh, 2 Nephi 9, 14. Wendy, can you read that one, verse 14? Mm-hmm. Wherefore, we shall have a perfect knowledge of our guilt. Okay, now let, let's back up. He's going to talk. He's going to be talking about the fact that uh, there's going to come a time, paradise, paradise of God, spirit world, and everything, and then we get into 14. So, um, Wherefore, we shall have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt and our uncleanliness. Okay, Dane, there's your first clue. A perfect knowledge of our uncleanliness and and our na- nakedness. And our nakedness. 
When we are unclean is when we are naked. And, uh, and, and exposed to what? Demons. Sure. Not necessarily evil spirits, necessarily, but demons that will attack us and control us and, and make us miserable when we are unclean. That, so, so nakedness is, a, is symbolic of uncleanliness. Okay, and? And the righteous shall have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment. Oh, I like that. Isn't that great? So part of the joy that comes from righteousness is not just the fact that uh, I, I am now clean, but I have a perfect enjoyment. And enjoyment, the word is enjoy, filled with joy, infused with joy. I have a perfect enjoyment in, in uh, a righteous, uh, or perfect knowledge of their enjoyment, the knowledge of how happy they are, supposed to be miserable, and? And their righteousness. Okay, now, if this is the case, now look at what, if I have been naked and unclean, now there's going to be a process by which I'm clothed. But clothed specifically, how? Uh, being clothed with purity, yea, even with the robe of righteousness. Oh, yeah. There is a clothing process that comes to the unclean, and to the um, demon-filled, and to the naked. The when they are, when the miracle occurs, and the casting out occurs, they're now not just going to be left naked, you're now going to be clothed, but clothed with what? Purity and righteousness. You see the you see the temple uh, line running through this. Okay, hold on to that thought because I want I want to give you one more on this, and that is uh, in the Psalm of Nephi, Second Nephi four, uh, right after his dad has died, and we get this beautiful Psalm of Nephi, Second uh, Nephi four, verse thirty two. May the gates of hell be cut shut continually before me because my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. If, if our hearts are broken and spiritually contrite, we are now in a place where miracles happen. We are thou, Jesus, thou son of David, you know, open my eyes. Cast this out, these unthinks. I'm now in a place where I say, I'm bound and I can't do this by myself. I don't possess the ability to remove the demon without help. I need you. I've got to have help. I need a miracle. That's what miracles are. Uh, o Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of righteousness before me that I may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road, help me walk with the, by the iron rod to get where I need to be, remove the, the highs and lows so that you lead me straight to you and then do a very interesting thing for me. Then what happens? O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? That's why it is that if you will understand that part of the understanding of the word atonement, we've talked about that in some cases 
It, it is the kafar. It, it was originally the word atonement was the, the, the pitch, the, the covering on the ark that keeps the, the, the elements out and, and protect it as it made its way across the water. But also the word atonement, especially in the Greek, means an embrace. An embrace. That, that being covered means to be wrapped in his arms, literally. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hand gathereth her chicks. Picture it. I want to pull you in close. I want to bring you close to me. Again, to do the temple. The atonement is about an embrace. The atonement is about being wrapped in his robes, literally of the atonement. And being held protected from the elements. I'm no longer naked. I am now wrapped in his robes. And clothed. And clothed. Isn't that great? Let me give you more, one more instance of this. Oh, by the way, uh, I love this quote from Elder Nelson. Addiction, thinking about the unclean spirits, uh, surrenders later freedom to choose. Through chemical means, one can literally become disconnected from his or her own will. You can't do it on your own. No amount of willpower. You're going to have to recognize that you're naked, that you have an unclean spirit, and you need to have that demon cast out by one stronger than you. You need a miracle. And our, our principle here is that unclean spirits leave when the Savior casts them out. But how are we going to be then protected? Well, let me go to uh, Sainted uh, Hugh Nibley, patron saint of BYU, who gives us kind of an instance of what we're talking about. Nibley Ferdler explains in, in uh, Arabic culture, when a person is running away, he runs to the tent of any great sheik he can find and goes in and kneels down before the sheik and says, and by the way, where's, he gonna, where's the sheik going to be located? In a tent? Yeah, you just thought the verse in, in the Book of Mormon was like, what is Nephi doing? My father dwells in a tent. It's perfect for seminary students that got to memorize a verse of the Book of Mormon. Why the significance? What's the big deal with him dwelling in a tent? The tent and, and, the, and the religious leader in this tent has great significance in the wilderness of the world. So he's going to go in, he kneels down before the sheik and says, I am thy supplicant. The sheik is then obligated to put his kaftan over his katif, which is the same as shoulder, to put the hem of his garment over his shoulder. So a picture, here's the supplicant. I have my supplicant, he's going to come in, and the sheik is going to take his robe, 
and he's going to put it over the shoulder of this one that has come in from the wilderness to the tent. And he's going to say, this is your tent. This is your family. He says, we'll make a place for you. Then the Lord or the chief is under obligation to defend you against the enemies that are chasing you. You are now under his protection and he will protect you. Where do you think that they got this tradition? Again, can you see the temple in here? Yeah. You know that still goes on today? It does. There's um, Mark Luttre Marcus Luttrell that wrote The Lone Survivor. Uh -huh. um, he was saved by a, a village of people. And when he was taken into or gone into one of the people's homes, they then promised him that they would protect him against all odds even the Taliban that came in and it was dangerous for them. I mean, they could have had their whole family killed because they protected him. There is a tradition that goes way back and that's why it, and there's this beautiful tradition that says when we are being, when we are unclean, we're filled with an unclean spirit, unclean demons, we go with a contrite heart and we go to this tent, we go to this place and sometimes it's the temple and sometimes it's the atonement and it's going to be a protection, it's going to be a covering that's going to watch over us and take care of us. Isn't that great? I just, lo I just love the symbolism of this. Okay? All right. Who did she say was taken in? Uh, Marcus Luttrell, that was the, uh, the sole survivor of an uh, attack in, uh, I think it was in Afghanistan. In fact, his clothes were all blown off of him. So yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then he was then clothed by them and, and taken care of. Yeah, American soldier. Okay. He was a seal. There was a seal team. Yeah, which he was the only one that made it out. Okay. <coughs> All right. So now, with that said, let let me apologize ahead of time. We've we've talked about this before, and I debated. I debated whether we would redo this because some of you have heard us talk about this before, but it's too good. Oh, thank you. Because it comes right after this. And I think it, it bears repeating. Repetition works. So now he's going to come from this place, having had this experience. They're going to get on the ship. They're going to sail across. Verse 22. And, and behold, there cometh one of the rulers out of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Now, again, if, you are a, if you're a missionary, and you're going to come into a new town, and the head of the synagogue is going to be the one to beseech you to do something for him. How great is that from a missionary standpoint? That's that like home run time, isn't that? Okay. 
And by the way, I love this. Um, we mentioned this a, a little while back. I think we did it in here. I know I did it in the sacrament meeting. This falling at the feet. If we're looking for miracles to be cleansed from, just a reminder, if we go back in 1 Nephi 8, which is the, uh, the tree of life, did we talk about this in here? I'm trying to remember if we did. Just a reminder then. The tree of life, remember there, there are various groups of people, and this particular group, this is the one that follows the rod of iron steadfastly, and it says in verse 30, Uh, they came and, and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron, did press their way forward, continually holding fast to the rod of iron until they came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. And the question that we ask is, how do you fall down and partake of the fruit? You can't reach up, you've fallen down. Yes, that's the key. Is, is that if you think about it, here you've come, you've fallen down. Sometimes people say, well, maybe some of the fruit fell off. Well, this is the tree of life. I don't think so. It's too ripe and it's falling off. There's only one way that you can be at the tree and fall down and partake of the fruit, and that would be the Savior gave it to them. Or Levi. There's somebody has to give you the fruit. That's what happens when you fall down. So keep so now we go back to here's Jarius. And when he saw the Savior, he falls at his feet. Here's the leader of the synagogue worshiping at at the Nazarites' feet. What effect would that have on people in the town? Wow. That's that's amazing stuff. What's he gonna say? He besought him greatly, saying, and here. Sometimes we won't do it for us, but sometimes we'll do it for our kids. My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay her hands on her, that she might be healed. What kind of faith does this man have? And she shall live. And she shall live. I know that this will work. Wow. That's a, that's a level of belief in some of the... You know, we blame the rulers of the Jews and stuff like that. That's pretty good. Okay? And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. So picture uh, Jesus, his disciples, Jairus, Jairus' peeps, all the guys, you know, and the curious onlooker, and they're in a small town in Judea, and they're just crammed down into the street, making their way down towards Jairus' house. Now, 25, and a certain woman who had an issue of blood 12 years. What's her name? A certain woman. See, we just came out, we just had last week, we just had a story like this, didn't we? We went from Nicodemus who comes at night, and that is contrasted with the Samaritan woman at the well. What was her name? Was it the woman at the well? 
How come we don't know these women's names? I didn't like women. It was just a it was just kind of a male thing. Yeah. The people that did the Bible didn't like them. <laughs> but isn't what why don't we have her? Kind of an indescript kind of thing. Maybe it's because those women represent all of us rather than just a person. And not just the, the, the famous. Right. And not just those that are public. Everybody knows their name. I, I think, see, that's where my heart goes. I think it's interesting to me that we get these two incidents. Nicodemus, well, now we're going to get Jarius, and we're going to get the woman with the issue of blood. And she's anonymous. We never know her name. But apparently she has the faith that Jarius has. She does. But she also has an additional malady. Where she has two maladies that we're talking about, two demons. Okay? Now, I, but I like, I like the contracts. I do. Because again, as we've talked about before, with with Jarius, where is he in Jewish society? Top. Don't give any higher than that. Where is she? First of all, she's a woman. Second of all, she's unclean. With an issue of blood. Where does that put her in Jewish society? About as far out of the synagogue. As far away from Jarius as you can be. That's why it's fascinating to me with Jarius with uh, Nicodemus, with centurions, with uh, even lepers. Everybody else can stand right in the way of the Savior when He's coming and going, heal me. And in this case, she doesn't even feel like she's worthy to do that. That's her second malady. He also takes note of where the Savior takes note of the widow's mind. We don't know the widow's name, do we? She just, that she, she just has her little widow's mind. Good point. Sometimes some of the most amazing people in these in the the Savior's experience. Uh, uh, by the way, do we know the man's name with the Legion? I didn't even should have should have gone. Do you know what the rest of the story of that one is? He's going to be clean, and and he's going to say to the Savior. You read the rest of the chapter. He's going to eat with him. He, he loves to be with him, and they're going to get in the boat, and he says, I want to be a disciple. I want to come with you. And the Savior's going to say, no, your calling's here. I want you to go preach what's happened to you and, and that the Lord has healed you. And so he didn't get to be a disciple. And one of those were, what did to be an apostle, wanted to be. But the Lord gave him a specific calling to preach to his little area and say what good things the Lord has done. And because of that, we don't know his name either. Anonymous people with great faith. But the Lord knows them. Certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. I guess the health care was similar back then. <laughs> and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all she had and there was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. You get the feeling that she's also uh, alone. There's nobody to take care of her. So, and, and when she had heard of Jesus, 
came in the press behind and touched his garment. There was a tradition going along, and I won't take time to hop out to it. There was a tradition that people were touching his clothes and there was healing going on. So in her case, she's going to reach up through the crowd. She's going to grab the hem of his garment, which we talked about before. is actually, it's the tassels on his tallit, on his prayer shawl. I'm going to touch it as it comes by. Uh, for she said, if I may touch his, but his clothes, I shall be whole. And it sounds like Jairus. If you heal my daughter, she will, she will live. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the plague. So did it work? Has a great miracle. She's, been, she's had this problem for 12 years. How great a miracle is this? Huge miracle. This is a great miracle. Life changing. For her. Yeah. Okay. Now. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him. Virtue meaning what? Power. I mean, we talked about virtue as one of the young women's things. Yeah, one of the values. In a sense, these are the these are one and the same. If you'll think carefully about this, because we talked about virtue with the young women as morality, cleanliness, and in this case, virtue is meaning power, strength, and the Savior is feeling the the. Uh, Virtue pour out of him to heal her. Driven by love. And, but the key cue here also is the fact that the healing of this woman cost the Savior personally. It was a personal thing. He felt the difference. He felt it flow out of him. And as, as a number of brethren can, can would be able to attest, there are times when if you're giving a priesthood blessing and the, and the Spirit is powerfully there and you feel something, you feel the virtue pour out of you. Uh, I remember doing this with my son, giving him a, a blessing in the, in the middle of the night. He was struggling and gave him a priesthood blessing and then had to sit down afterwards. It, it cost me of something of me for that healing to occur. Well, this is the way it is with the Savior. It poured out into this anonymous woman. So why? Because there were other people that were thronging him, like the disciples said, and other people that were touching him, and so... Yeah. Well, good question. Why, why her? Her faith. Tell you how, this is a magnificent lady who has just been struggling with a demon for 12 years. And she can't do it on her own and she needs a miracle. That's the pattern. You see it over and over and over. But again, she has two demons. And he's going to heal both. Jesus immediately turned himself in himself, virtue flown out of him, turned in the press, who touched my clothes, the disciples go, duh, we're all touching you. 
Uh, he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman fearing and trembling. Why is she fearing and trembling? Oh, because she's not clean. Oh, she shouldn't even be in there. No, she shouldn't. She's, she's kind of done something wrong, right? She touched him. And she didn't ask. She, in other words, she's kind of stolen something. She's been bad here. A miracle has occurred that is this, an incredible miracle has occurred. And her response to that is, I've been bad. There's something wrong. I've stolen something. This is not right. I'm not worthy of this. There's the other demon. And I, I wonder how often, I don't wonder, I know. How many people have these, these demons, demons of depression, demons, demons of addictions, demons of all these things, and they also have a second demon. I'm unworthy, I'm unlovable, uh, I don't deserve to be healed. And you, and you get this dual thing going on at the same time. And the spirit can't reach you when you're in in that, despair in that state of mind. So you are. Do you, you do feel alone? You're all by yourself. You feel very, very alone in a crowd. Right. You can feel alone. I believe that all of us that struggle with demons have both. We have something going on with us here, and we have our belief about what that means, and, and that is our second demon. Now. Could not the Savior have then felt it, recognized it, and then moved on? She would still be healed, right? Couldn't he have done it that way? Why did he, why did he stop and make a public spectacle of this thing? He wanted to heal the second demon. He needed to heal the second demon. And that was only going to be face to face. She needed to know not just what happened, but how it happened. And in the how it happened, it would heal the second demon. That makes sense. That she's worthy of it. That she was worthy of it. And he's going to say that, isn't he? Mm -hmm. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him the truth. I cannot lie. I stole the virtue. <laughs> I cannot lie. You healed me. I have to believe that the first word he then says to her was the healing moment. And he saith unto her what? Daughter. Not unclean woman. Daughter. I just can't even imagine the the breath of fresh air that must have been to her soul. I think it's the same thing with the woman at the well. Yes. He didn't bring up that she didn't have a husband to humiliate her. He brought it up to teach. He did, and I'm the Messiah. <clears throat> and let me teach you, daughter. I can't even fathom what that would do now. Daughter. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy demon. 
display. You are well because of your faith. You open the door to me and let me in. And let me perform a miracle with you. You open the door. You came with a contrite heart, broken spirit. You fell down before me and allowed me to heal you and cast out the unclean spirit with you. Now, by the way, I, I do believe that there was a third reason why he did this public. Who else, who's standing next to him? Darius. Who else is hearing, daughter? Thy faith hath made thee whole. His disciples. His disciples, and especially Jairus. What's he saying to Jairus, in effect? Your and, and he's saying, she's clean. This woman is clean. Let her back in the synagogue. Let her back into society. She is clean. Let her back. Let her back. Wow. I do love, by the way, and, and you, you spotted, there is another thing going on. What is, what is foremost, I hadn't thought of this, what is foremost in Jairus' mind at the moment? Oh. His daughter. So at the moment that he's saying to her daughter, that has to be sparking something in Jairus. She is also a daughter. And she has also been healed. Beautifully. By the man who would do miracles. And his Jairus daughter died. Yes, and then right after this, we're not going to take the time to do it now, but right after this beautiful experience, they're going to come to him and say, too late. You were, while you were spending time on this woman here in the street, your daughter died. And he's going to say no. And he's going to go to her. And, and a very sweet thing that we're going to talk about another time. Very sweet thing for the daughter of Jairus. Little one. So, let me... I just want to kind of finish, I think, with this. That I believe that part of what we what we start to read here, we're going to run through a number of miracles that occur as part of the Savior's ministry. They are miracles because they are so outwardly noticeable, changing water into wine and healing lepers and all of that. But I think it runs parallel to our own demons and the own miracles that need to happen in our own lives. I think we have these demons that we battle. And the, but the pattern is still the same, that we have to let him in. We have to fall down, worship him. He will cast out the demon and spot our nakedness, and then he's going to wrap us in the, the robes of the atonement and draw us close and heal us in a way that we could never do on our own. If you, and that's why when you read these, you have to read them with a view towards your own life and your own family and your people that you're called to serve. Look at them and see them in, in these stories. And then suddenly this becomes a life. I pray that we can see the miracles in our life and recognize and let Him heal the demons that we struggle with. So that we can be wrapped in those robes of His atonement. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.
dear, kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this stuff to be able to be here today and to listen to the lesson and to learn more about the impact plan. We ask that please help us to continue to have the Spirit throughout the remainder of this day, throughout this week. Please help us to recognize the demons and plagues in our lives that afflict us. Please help us to overcome these trials we face. Please keep us safe in all that we do. And we say these things in the Son of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, reading assignment for next week. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. That'd be a good one. <laughs>